Mac Power Users, episode 371, MPU Plus for April 2017. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie Floyd? I'm great, David. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. It's been several months since we did a feedback episode, and there was a a bunch of it piled up. So we thought it would be a good time for us to take a moment and catch up with all that great feedback we've been getting from the Mac Power Users listeners. But first, uh, a little, uh, I guess, uh, information and business at the beginning. Okay. Uh, we we love your uh, audio feedback. Please keep it coming. We didn't get as much this month, so so send more in. Keep it about two minutes or less. Um, make sure that uh, we keep it a couple minutes because if it gets too long, it, it gets tedious for everybody, even us. Um, we also had the Mac, for real this time, since we had the last show recorded, you and I met up in Chicago, and we met up with about 100 Mac Power Users listeners, and it was absolutely amazing. I, the... I don't know what I was expecting for this meetup. I thought it would be successful if we had 10 people and maybe grabbed a table somewhere. And this meetup has exceeded absolutely all of my expectations. I do want to say a very special thanks to um, our sponsor, MacPaw, makers of SetApp, who um, helped support this meetup. Uh, Harvest Media, Mike really came through with us and made some um, amazing t-shirts that we distributed to everybody who attended. Um, and of course, our good friend Frank, who is the Relay FM artist, uh, designed the amazing T-shirts that we gave out for everybody. And just thank you to everybody who came. It was—I I can't even begin to tell you what a thrill it was for me. And I know David, you had a great time as well. Yeah, I mean, just going around the room meeting all the listeners. There's just so many super smart people who listen to this show, and I love talking to them all because you always learn something from them, and they're just all such nice people. Which kind of leads to the next point is the Facebook group. It's uh, rolling like gangbusters. You know, we've got thousands of members in it. We have almost no trouble with the members. You know, you don't have the usual Facebook problems that you do. Well, that Sparks guy has given us some trouble. Yeah, I cause trouble once in a while. <laughs> My wife, you know, got her uh, certificate in social media. She does social media for a lot of little companies around here. That's one of her things. And she was commenting to me the other night. She said, I just can't get over how nice everybody is in the uh, Mac Power Users Facebook group. A lot of the Facebook groups she's administered for other people have a lot more problems. And I think that's just a reflection of how awesome our audience is. And there's lots of pollination going on there. People writing in with questions and coming up with answers among themselves. Katie and I are weighing in on some of the issues. And it's it's just a great little uh, community. And I'm super happy that it exists. You know, the bartender at our MPU meetup made that same comment. He said, this is the best group I've ever hosted a private party for here. He's like, you, you're you smart. You guys are funny. You, you're, nobody's going crazy. You're all very respectful. He's like, I've never hosted a party for a better group of people than this. Well, we're very fortunate to have such a great audience. And uh, that leads to all the great feedback we get from the listeners as well. So you want to get started? Yeah. So for our first question comes from listener Jim, who has a question about using dictation with text expander. And he says, I know David is a huge fan of dictation and who isn't a fan of text expander. My question is, how do you fit these two together in your world? It seems like expansions wouldn't generally be accessible with dictation unless you figure you trigger the phrase. So do you use text expander with dictation? Can you use text expander to dictation? Because I know that I sometimes accidentally write in text expander snippets, but... Nobody else yeah, can understand them. 
I mean, I feel like they're kind of different technologies. I guess if you could dictate a snippet, it would expand. Um, but you don't need to. And I don't think it's really the best way to solve that problem. If you're using Dragon, um, Dragon does have the, in essence, text expander for your speech. Because if you say certain phrases, you can have it expand like text expander does. So they've got that kind of technology built into Dragon. Macros. Yeah, in in essence, but it's like you could put large bits of written text in and tie it to a, a brief phrase that if you dictate this phrase, then go ahead and fill out with the rest of this information. Uh, to be honest, I don't use that very much. Uh, when I dictate, it's usually things that are unique. If it's something that's already canned in my system, I'll just type in a few phrases with text expander and have it autofill for me. So, well, And that's the beauty is that you don't have to be all hands-on keyboard or all hands-off keyboard. There's probably a sweet spot to a hybrid approach. Yeah. And uh, to quote our friend Sal Segoyan, there's an and there, not an or. So you can um, you can use both and it, it works just fine that way. Um, for uh, several years ago, there was some interference between Dragon and Text Expander where they didn't work well together when Dragon first came to the Mac. As far as I know, that problem's been solved because I run them both at the same time every day and I've, I've never really seen any problems. So um, you're fine, but I, I don't try to trigger Text Expander-like functionality with my voice. Yeah. One of the other things that I noticed happening at the Mac Power Users Meetup last week was everybody was comparing home screens. And so I, I don't know if this was prompted by this, but we actually got a question from listener Mike this week asking us, how are we arranging our home screens these days? All right, Katie, you go first. Well, my uh, my layout of it, my layout has always remained the same for probably the last year or two. I've been very happy with the single home screen only. And the way that that works is I use all of the squares on my home screen. Um, but the first row is four folders and those folders are utilities, leisure, you could say fun, I, but I guess I'm boring, productivity and information. And those four categories pretty much sum up everything that's on my iPhone, utilities, leisure, productivity, information. And those are across the top of my iPhone screen. And in those folders go everything else, because I've realized that if it's not important enough to be on my home screen, I don't go searching for it. I, by, you know, just thumbing through and looking for it, I'm going to search for it with Spotlight. Now, when you do put something in a folder, you do get nine app icon previews. So I'm careful about what I put in those first slots of those um, of those folders. So I do sub-arrange those folders just to have the most important or most frequently used apps in those nine folders first, because then those are only two taps away. Um, and then I just have the remainder of the apps based on what I use. I have um, my most frequently used apps in my dock. Um, right now that's Drafts, Mail, OmniFocus, and Overcast. Um, the row above that is my um, kind of communication uh, channel. I've got, uh, well, no, not really. It's Fantastica, 1Password, Evernote, and TweetBot. And then I guess above that is uh, kind of my communication channel. And then I have a row of uh, row or two of business-related apps. So that's how I'm using my home screen. How about you? Yeah, well, I, I thought uh, that was a great idea that you had about putting all of the apps on one page with just the four folders across the top. Well, to be clear, I think I heard about it from CGP Gray. 
Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. Well, he's a smart guy. Um, I I also boosted an idea from our friend Liana Lahua, who's been a guest on our show. She does something similar, but she gave the four folders verb names, which I thought was really clever. So my, my folders are named make, learn, fix, and play. So I don't know. I just find that the, the little whimsy and that makes me happy. Like you, I keep them across the top row of the uh, the home screen. Uh, although I saw a listener in Chicago, and I don't remember who it was now because we there were just so many people there. But who had put those four row those four folders in the middle row? Because uh, he said, "Look, I access those more than some of the apps, so I want them more accessible on my big iPhone Plus," which I thought was a pretty good idea. But uh, so I, I'm like you. I'm putting the four folders on. What I have been doing a lot lately is rethinking what are the apps that make it onto the home screen. I've been, um, yeah, I think I got into habit. I had like a set group of apps that I just traditionally put on the home screen. And I hadn't really thought about, well, what am I doing with this particular device? So I've really rethought lately about, you know, what goes on the home screen of the iPad, both the big and small, and what goes on the home screen of the of the iPhone for instance, on the iPad, I'm putting the Dragon Anywhere app in my dock now because I use it so much. And for some reason, it was always in a folder. But I think um, putting an app on on your dock or on your home, actual home screen is a way to, to get more use out of it. It's also aspirational in some cases. Um, we've got a show coming up on all the new Notes apps. There's been a whole new crop of Notes apps, which, of course, I can't stop talking about. And uh, right now, I'm, I've been running an extended test of this new app, Bear. So that's in all my docs because I want to make sure I open it every day and, and you know, try to find where it doesn't and does work for me. So uh, give some thought to not only the folders you use, but what are the apps that you use most often? One of the things I did is I started uh, double tapping and looking at, you know, the, the, the app list and just scrolling through that occasionally to see what are the apps that I've been opening the most lately. And that may give you some good insight about what deserves to be on your home screen. The other thing is, um, especially if you have a phone that is enabled with 3D Touch, if your developer has added additional features for 3D Touch, which most good ones have now, you would be surprised how many things you can do with 3D Touch. And I would suggest you just go through your entire home screen and 3D Touch all of the icons because, number one, you'll probably find some very cool things you can do with that. And you might that also might dictate different things you put on your home screen because you may find, wow, I can, I can not only access an app, but I can do an action much more quickly than I ever thought I could. And and like Katie said, there are some very impressive uh, functions being added with iOS 10 that um, it became even deeper. So like, for instance, drafts not only gives you access to the most recent drafts, but it gives you access to the microphone and, the you know, the new draft button and the clipboard. It's just it's impressive what some of these developers have pulled off. And I think a lot of people forget it's there. Or if you just got a new iPhone 7, um, you may not even realize it's there. Well, David, the day that we record this, um, Apple, to much chagrin, has very silently introduced a few updates to the iPad line. They've released a new red iPhone, but not the updates that people were hoping for. There's no 10.5-inch iPad. There was no special Apple event. Um, but several listeners have still raised the question of how is the multi-pad lifestyle working out for you? And I'm going to tag on a bonus question here and say, now that Apple has made this very, very minor refresh to the iPad line, uh, basically dropping the iPad Air, renaming that line just simply iPad and updating the internals, 
would you recommend that someone go ahead and upgrade their iPad now if they're looking at maybe joining the multi-pad lifestyle or trying to become more productive with their iPad? Yeah, well, I, we're recording this a little early because of vacation schedules, but the um, uh, I, I would not recommend as we record this, that you buy a new iPad. I'm not sure that Apple's done. I be, I expect at least we're going to see updates for the um, the iPad Pros come out shortly. And um, this this update they announced just today as we record is this new iPad for the replacement of the iPad Air. It's kind of like a low-end iPad. The price got reduced uh, pretty significantly. It's heavier, you know, which is an unusual thing for an Apple product. Um uh, the I think what they've done, and I, I made an argument on my blog a few weeks ago about, uh, you know, in terms of the education thing, Apple needs to make a cheaper iPad that is a little more rugged. And this feels like it kind of fits that bill a bit. And I called it an e-pad. I don't know if you remember, they used to have these things called e-Macs, which were Macs made for selling education. Um, there's a lot of schools out there that want to buy 100 iPads and you can drop the price by $70. Um, that makes the iPad a lot more accessible to them. So to me, this feels like kind of a low-end move. It helps with education. Uh, I don't know when the education buying periods are. Maybe we're getting close to that. That's Maybe that's one of the reasons they did it now. But uh, uh, if you just want to have a you know low-end, get an iPad into the house kind of thing, I think this new one makes perfect sense. But I don't think they're done telling the story yet. Now, whether or not we get the fancy new 10.5-inch iPad that we've been hearing about or whether we just get updates to the um, to the iPad Pros as they exist with the current general designs, um, maybe you'll know by the time you hear this. Maybe it'll already have happened. But uh, I, with the current knowledge, I would not recommend buying a new iPad Pro right now. So the optimistic way of looking at this is Apple was just getting these updates out of the way to, to clear the channel, to get something... I I don't mean channel as in the the, the channel the supply channel, but to to clear the way I guess for other announcements coming so that they don't have to talk about this or they don't have to mention it. Yeah, the bandwidth, you know. So you know when they announce whatever it is new and shiny they want to announce, they don't have to spend time talking about this stuff. And um, that makes sense. Although the product red iPhone seems to me like the kind of thing that they would want to talk about at an event. So the fact that they release that makes you wonder. Well, the thing about that is you want to get it out as early as possible because everybody now knows that new iPhones come out in September. So the closer you get to September, the less likely someone is to buy a new iPhone. And and the iPad Pro, the big one, is now 18 months old. The, uh, the, re- the smaller one is 12 months old. It just seems to me like it's ripe for an update. But I don't think you answered listeners John's original question, which is how is the multi-pad lifestyle working out for you? Yeah, to much to Katie's chagrin, I have two iPads, <laughs> and the um, uh, I I'm very happy with it. It's I, your life, man. You do what you want. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Someday I'll be homeless, and she'll say, "I told you." Um, but the uh, I uh, I really like it. So I've got the the iPad. It, it's interesting now that I've had them like six months. How you know? How am I using them? You know, is one sitting in the closet? No, I'm using them both almost every day. The, um, the smaller one is, just like Katie said, more portable, more usable, and it's more manageable, frankly, when you're holding it. Like typing even on it is easier, especially when you're holding it and typing with your thumbs. Uh, so that one is the the carry around one, the one I use a lot, um, even just going to Starbucks or whatever, I find I'm using that one quite a bit. Uh, the bigger one 
it has, I've been finding I use it for a couple specialized things. Uh, the first thing I use it for is, and I'm going to talk about my pick for the show later. I've got a really cool device that allows me to prop the iPad next to my iMac and my keyboard. So I've got this, this big surface of this big iPad right there. And I can use that with a variety of apps that interface with the Mac or even just use it independently. And I find it really nice. Like even just like my OmniFocus stuff, uh, for me, it's very, uh, easy to use it with a pencil, you know, and so I'll have OmniFocus open over on my right here with my big glass iPad, or, or I'll take notes or whatever on the iPad as I go through my day. And it's a, it's a really good, super expensive accessory device for my iMac. So that's one of the things it does for me. Uh, I also use it when I play the piano all the time, because my nearly 50 year old eyes can read sheet music on the big iPad a lot easier than it can the small iPad. I've tried to read sheet music on the smaller one and I get notes wrong because they're just a little too small. And um, and that's really nice. And then when I go out to client meetings, I bring the big one still because I, I don't use, you know, I, I have that laptop. I don't use it every day. For most things, you know, the, my big iPad it has the uh, cellular radio in it. Uh, it. When I attach it to the keyboard cover, it's a really nice size keyboard but it's still not intrusive for client meetings. And um, just having that extra screen real estate is nice. Like if I'm out and about doing client meetings and I end up in a Starbucks or whatever, um, it's a lot easier. Like even just like managing contracts in, um, in Microsoft Word for iOS, when you're doing track changes and you've got the right margin and all of a sudden the text just starts getting smaller and smaller, uh, that those extra couple inches of screen real estate really make a big difference. So uh, what I'd say is I use the small one probably about 65% of the time and the big one about 35% of the time. But when I do use the big one, it, it really is serving a better, it's doing a better job because of that extra couple inches. You know, the way that you talk about the big one, it, that those percentages surprised me. I, I thought you'd be using the big one vastly more than the little one. No, no, not really. Well, I mean, it's like I said, when I go out to client meetings, um, well, you know what? I guess I, I probably got those percentages wrong because I use the big one all the time when I'm at my Mac. You know what I mean? It's just always there. It's like a second screen? Yeah. Well, it can be. With Duet Display, it's a second screen. Um, and if I use, I have to scroll down because I made a bunch of notes for my pick. Uh, if I use AstroPad, it is my, it is my, um, you know, my stylus pad for my Mac. Um, and then when I run apps, but I don't use it all the, you know, so what it is a second screen or it's an optional interface when I'm working on my iMac. It's an optional input device. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's also just, it runs independently laps. Like I was talking about earlier, like I'll run OmniFocus just on the iPad Pro and I'll use my 27 inches of my iMac for other stuff. And as people call in and stuff, I want to do something OmniFocus, I can do it just as fast on the iPad as I can on the, on the Mac. But it's not like, I guess the reason I say those percentages are smaller is because when I'm sitting at the iMac, most of the work I do is on the iMac. It's not on the iPad sitting right next to me, but it's there constantly to help me out. It's also nice uh, just as a um, as a video screen. You know, I just want to watch a movie or something or play a Linda video while I'm sitting here doing mindless work. 
to take a minute and thank our sponsor, Smile, for their longtime support of Mac Power users and talk to you a little bit about the PDF Pen family of apps. You can learn more about PDF Pen and the entire suite of apps from Smile Software by heading over to smilesoftware.com MPU. So, you know, in my day job, I deal a lot with PDFs and other documents, but I also try to go paperless and I can't stand it when I have to send something, scan it, sign it, do all of these other things and go back around again. Well, with PDF Pen, you can break free of that scan, print, sign, fax cycle and do everything in a paperless lifestyle. In fact, thanks to PDF Pen, I don't own a fax machine in my law firm. How wonderful is that? PDF Pen can do so much more than add signatures to documents, though. You can add text and make graphics. You can make corrections, like when you've got this document, you're ready to send out and you find one little typo. Maybe that just happens to me, but I bet it probably happens to you, too. My favorite this time of year, we're getting into tax season. You can redact sensitive information from your document. So you can redact things like social security numbers or account numbers or all of those types of things. You can number pages in your PDFs. Whatever you need, PDF Pen is there for you. The new version, PDF Pen 8, greatly enriches your PDF creation and editing experience. You can now make audio notes and can record in place and access file attachments. You can even now sign documents with digital signatures so you can send and receive PDFs with a greater degree of trust than ever before. You can also now export to Microsoft Word without the need for internet access. And if you've got multiple devices, PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone is a must-have to use with PDF Pen for Mac and will sync back and forth with all of your various cloud devices. And because Smile is always on top of things, they have released a number of updates to PDF Pen. For example, PDF Pen version 8.2 brought iCloud Sync for all tabbed windows on Sierra, and PDF Pen version 8.3 included support for the new Touch Bar Mac Pro. If you are ready to live the glorious paperless lifestyle with PDF Pen, head over to smilesoftware.com MPU to learn more. And thanks, Smile, for your continued support of the show. We also got quite a bit of feedback about our tinfoil hat episode. Most of it was positive. We had a few people who didn't like it so much, but that's all right. You can't please everybody. But a lot of very nice comments about the tinfoil hat episode. I think people were ripe for an episode like this. Uh, Jill pointed out that in that episode about privacy and security, we talked about Start SSL and how they used to give away free certificates if you wanted to secure uh, your email or your domains or things like that. And I had wondered, and I should have done my research before the show, whether you could still get a free certificate, but you cannot. So they got bought out by WoSign and apparently the security there was so poor that people were using them to mine for their own certs for Google and PayPal, and now no browser will trust them. So um, my bad. Should have checked that before we actually started recording. It was just kind of a spur of the moment thing. But there are still places where you can get your own encrypted certificates online. Just sounds like Start SSL or WoSign is not a good place for it anymore. We also heard about Border Crossing's uh, series on Netflix. Many people wrote in to tell us. <laughs> they said they like the show, uh, but the uh, the family has been watching these shows on Netflix. Border Security, America's Frontline, Canada's Frontline, and Australia's Frontline. And apparently, um, the big lesson you get from watching that show is you don't have much security when you cross a border. Well, we had alluded to that in the last episode, and apparently this Netflix series uh, really shows you exactly what it was. Um, I think Mark was telling us how they would show you where people's laptops are taken and they're digging through your stuff. And yeah, it's a scary place out there. So um, just plan accordingly when you cross any kind of border. So Katie, um, you know, one of the reasons we're recording some shows in advance is you're going on an international trip. So my question is, 
what do we do if they don't let you back in? I mean, have you got a plan? I think they're going to let me back in. I hadn't really considered that as a possibility. They may not, you know, so. I'm going to say I'm Katie Floyd. I record the Mac Power Users podcast. If you don't let me back in, there are no more shows. Maybe we'll just like have like, I think we should have like some kind of barge at sea, like an international waters that's just ready for you. With a microphone that I can. Microphone and an internet connection. That I can record from. Like a helicopter. We got to go like just full bond with this. I can see them dropping you down with a cable, you know, one of those cables. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here, ready to record the show. Um, Yeah, but I have given some thought to um, what am I going to do with my data before I leave and, um, and those types of things. I'm definitely going to be deleting some stuff. Not that I have anything for the NSA who's listening. I don't have anything to hide. There's nothing to hide. There's just data on here that I need to protect. But I'm definitely going to, you know, delete some data from my iOS devices and my computers that I take with me across and, you know, just leave that stuff at home. Uh, Spencer also wrote in to tell us about the Brave browser at bravebrave.com. It's available for Mac and iOS, as well as Windows, Linux, and Android. And it's a Chromium-based browser that has features like HTTPS everywhere and ad blocking built right into it. So no need to install extensions or add-ons. But this is where things get a little interesting. According to Spencer, one of its best features is that it addresses the dilemma of wanting to block ads while still supporting online content creators because Brave gives users the option of paying a certain amount of money per month that is then divided up among your most viewed websites. Brave apparently takes a 5% cut and then tries to reach out to the websites that have earned your money and passes the rest over to them. Now, this is a model that has been tried before. Um, Was it, it wasn't, was it read it later? It was, it was one of those read it later services. Or read it, it wasn't readability. Um, read it later, which I think became something else. Tried the service and it was pretty critically panned um, just because it was very difficult for um, individual content providers to sign up. Because, I mean, I know I am not signed up with Brave. I, I don't, I doubt Back Sparky is signed up with Brave. I mean, if that's one of the places where you frequently visit, um, what are they doing with the money that they don't distribute? And, and those types of things. I mean, I think it's one of those things where they probably have good intentions, but as, as other people have learned before, there's a lot of flaws in that execution. It's it's interesting, though. Yeah, I agree. Um, but the, the overall feedback we got from people was this is stuff that they, uh, they are concerned about, and uh, we did our best to get you what we can. I know you and I were both uh, traveling last week. Did, did you take any extra? I am... Um, Upgraded my VPN connection. I went from the uh, the small mini plan to the to the unlimited plan, and I was pretty much on VPN the entire time that I was gone. Yeah, I you know I told you I was switching to Cloak, so I went ahead and did it, and I actually just bought a year subscription. It's it was ninety nine bucks, and as much as I travel and as much as I spend time in coffee shops, um and 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 um Wi Fi that I don't control, I decided it was probably worth it, and. Uh, it feels pretty good being able to push that VPN button anytime I feel like it. Yeah, and I didn't really notice any problems. I mean, there were problems, don't get me wrong, with the hotel Wi-Fi, but I didn't really notice any slowdowns from the VPN perspective. A couple of times I hopped off the VPN just to see if that was the problem that I was having connecting, and it was pretty much universally. Of course, at the tech conference we go to for lawyers, it, there's always problems with technology. Yeah, well, the um, the conference is in the basement of an old building, so the, the you're you're almost like a Faraday cage in there. It's very difficult to get internet. True story. 
Uh, and and we'll get back to this, the show outline. We'll be back to your regularly scheduled Mac Power users in just a moment. But this is related. So this is my first trip that I took with the MacBook Pro and my entire suitcase full of adapters that I had to bring with me to make sure that everything connected properly. And I knew going in that I was going to have a problem connecting to the projectors because they use this weird click share technology thing. And it has never, ever, ever worked with my Mac. And uh, I think you just accept that. And although I tried it this year, yet again, it didn't work. The firmware, something was an upgrade. So what you always end up doing, um, and you typically have about um, two different um, AV techs, you know, lunging for you at any given time, is I always end up just disconnecting their equipment and then plugging my Mac directly in, which makes them very unhappy. And so I had to bring the USB-C to VGA adapter to plug my Mac in. And everybody was baffled by this whole USB-C thing. And I kid you not, at the end of my presentation, thank goodness none of my stuff was plugged into it, this uh, click share box starts sparking and smoking. You had a really good presentation. I mean, yeah, I'm like, all right, glad I wasn't plugged into that. Fireworks at the end. Perfect. (laughs) Well, we've all, I mean, everybody's, you know, your, everybody's biggest fear that presents is that you're going to have a bulb go out halfway through your presentation. And if your slides are important, I always tell people, be ready. What happens if your bulb goes out? What are you going to do? And, um, but I've never told people to be, what do you do if some of the equipment catches on fire? That's a new <laughs> one for me. So in addition to the Mac Sparky pack, which includes a separate projector and Apple TV, your own network, you now have to bring a fire extinguisher. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I, you know, I have always um, mistrusted wireless projection, except the exception being the Apple TV, which I've used several times without fail. But whenever someone tells me, oh, we have this fancy new wireless system, you're going to love it. I always know I'm going to hate it. And now I've got to the point where I don't even try to use it. I just immediately unplug and bring the copper wire into the computer. Yeah. What? I said, do the people yeah. lunge at you too? Or is it just me when I start unplugging things? I, I'm just super friendly. I just tell the guy, I'm like, Hey, I, I don't understand this newfangled stuff. I'm going to use the old one. And they usually let me get away with it. Oh, maybe that's my problem. I don't say anything or ask permission. I just start rewiring. I usually wait till they're out of the room to do it. They say for- forgiveness is easier than permission. That's that's my thing. The the other thing that I did while we're on the subject of traveling is I now have a travel Apple TV. Uh, as I've upgraded my third generation Apple TVs to the fourth generation Apple TVs, yeah, I didn't sell my other Apple TVs. They just you know they dropped in value. Nobody was really buying them, and I was like, you know, for for what these are going for on eBay or Amazon, I'd probably just as soon keep some of these. So I moved one into a spare bedroom, so when guests come, they can now have an Apple TV in there, and they still work great. Um, and I put one in a little travel bag and it is now my official travel Apple TV and it's all in a nice contained bag and I throw it in my suitcase now whenever I travel and it has been wonderful to be able to take an Apple TV with me, whether it's for presentations or whether it's just for vegging out in the hotel room. We had, um, uh, we also had a sponsor a while ago, the away guys that make the away carry on. And this is, this is an editorial. This isn't a sponsorship, but, but you know, they, they gave me one when we did the ad and uh, I've used it a couple trips and man, I just really loved it in Chicago. It was great. Having a, a USB battery built into your, um, to your luggage is pretty awesome. I was sitting in the airport cause when I left, I had several hours in the airport. I thought I was going to get an earlier flight and you know, things didn't work out my way. So I ended up spending like six hours in the airport and I was sitting there with my, devices plugged into my luggage 
And uh, some lady sat down next to me and she looked at it and she was very impressed. Did you share your luggage with her? I did. I shared. I said, you can have a cable too. Here you go. Awesome. Made a friend. Perfect. Yeah. All right. We've got some feedback for the calendar show. And I want to start, I think this is um, Sonal who had um, a tip about the Apple Watch calendar. Hi, Katie and Dave. It's Sonal here from the UK. Thank you for your recent podcast on calendars. And I wanted to share a tip with you and the Mac Power user listeners that has revolutionized my life in this respect. And that is using emojis within the calendar apps. First, I'd like to outline the problem, then suggest my solution and give practical examples. The problem I find with using calendar apps on iOS um, or even uh, on my Mac on my Apple Watch is the problem of space. This is especially so with the Apple Watch complication in which you can only fit about two words before the entry gets truncated. Even on iPads and on the iMac where a calendar might fill a full screen, there is still shortage of space. My solution to this is rather than writing a wordy entry is to use emoji to signify a particular type of event. For example, going back to what you and Katie discussed on the last episode, instead of Katie making an entry of lunch with client A, client B, or coffee with client A, client B, or Dave uh, making an entry such as telephone call with client A or client B, how about using the emoji symbol for a plate, or the emoji symbol for a coffee cup, or the emoji symbol for a mobile phone, and then you would have coffee cup, Client name, plate, client name, mobile phone emoji, client name. And this makes the entry visible in the Apple Watch complication and in iOS devices and on the Mac as well. The beauty of this is that emoji are cross-platform and not only will they work on iOS devices, but on other devices as well. I now use this regularly in all my calendar entries and I've developed the following schemes. Since I work in healthcare, I have an emoji of a hospital, followed by the name of the place I'm working. If I have workmen at home, I have the little emoji symbol of the tools, uh, a wrench and hammer, followed by the word plumber or piano tuner. For weddings, I have the wedding emoji of a wedding bride, followed by the bride and groom's name. And for deadlines, such as my tax return, I have an emoji of the orange triangle with an exclamation mark in, followed by the word tax return. These are just some examples of the kinds of schemes and emojis that you could use and develop. And I found them invaluable in preserving screen space, both on the watch, uh, on iOS applications, as well as on the Mac, and even when printing out a monthly calendar onto an A4 sheet of paper. Therefore, I would highly recommend this tip to you and to all your users. Many thanks and keep up the good work. Sonal. Sonal, that's a great idea. And uh, I'm going to I've started playing with it since this comment came in. And it's, I'm finding it's very easy to implement. I mean, you can add emoji very easily on any Apple device anymore. They're, they're making it easier than ever. Did you know, Katie, about the control command spacebar trick? Control command spacebar to get to the emoji keyboard? Yeah, on your Mac. So it's, it's a great way to, you know, because on the iOS, it's really obvious, but you got to use a little keyboard mojo on the Mac to, to get it fast. Um, but anyway, this is a great idea. So I think everybody should think about it, especially if you're wearing an Apple Watch, because he's he describes a problem that absolutely does exist. 
uh, even if you give the uh, the full line across the bottom of the utility face, your calendar, which I think a lot of us have done, it's always there's always an ellipsis in there. You never get the full entry. Yeah. In fact, I changed my watch face a couple of months ago so I could specifically get the full line. And I, I, and I also make a point to put probably the most important snippets of information at the very front of my calendar entry now. So I've really changed the way that I write my calendar entries. But but right now my calendar entry says record MPU fee. <laughs> so I guess I'm still in the right place. Well, is this the show about feet? I don't know. Who knows? It could be fee something. One of the other things we talked about in that calendar shows, we we ran through some of the various calendar applications. And when we talked about BusyCal, uh, you and I both expected that we would get some feedback from the developers of BusyCal because they are extremely responsive. And we know that they're listeners to the show. So hi, John. Um, and I love hearing from developers of various applications because they have an opportunity to correct us when we get stuff wrong. And when we make suggestions, sometimes you see those things implemented in future versions of the app. And BusyCal is certainly one of my favorite calendaring apps, uh, and I certainly like to see it get better and learn a few things. Uh, John pointed out that um, you can, depending on the type of um, backend you're using for your sync, when you dis- one of my critics uh, criticisms of it was that I was constantly having to dismiss uh, alerts both on my home Mac and on my work Mac. And John said, well, actually, the alarm and snooze dismissals do sync, but they do sync over iCloud. And my problem is that I use a Google Calendar at work. So they're probably not going to sync for me, at least at this point. However, did you know that if you hold down the option key, the dismiss button changes into a dismiss all button. So now I can, with one click, get rid of all those duplicative um information on my screen. Uh, the other time thing is that I was under the impression that travel time alarms in BusyCal were unique to BusyCal, but John pointed out that they work the same and sync with travel time alarms in Apple Calendar. The process of setting a location and travel time is the same in both apps too. So if you set a travel time alarm in Apple Calendar, it will appear in BusyCal and vice versa. So supported um, to support for travel time requires that the client app, either BusyCal, Apple Calendar, or whatever one you're using, sync directly with iCloud via CalDAV because the location and travel time metadata is stored in the CalDAV feed. And BusyCal syncs directly with iCloud on both Mac and iOS, which is why they're able to support this feature. Um, the other thing that he wanted to point out is that the natural language processing in BusyCal has gotten a lot better. They did a lot to improve their natural language processing in version 3.0, and this was one of the key things that they worked on. So um, I am going to start using BusyCal a little more for natural language processing. I've always done that through the Fantastical menu bar. Um, so I, I'm going to give it a try and see if it works just as well for me. Yeah, and one of the things I had pointed out I liked about Fantastical is that feature where they show two time uh, two time zones, and uh, Fantastical does that too. I'm I'm sorry, BusyCal does that too. Yeah, so thank you, John, for the correction, and everybody. I mean, I feel like the the thing is, as users, we have an abundance of riches. Um, uh, there's a lot of really good apps available for calendaring right now, and and we need them because calendars are a problem. You know, we need we need powerful tools to help us stay on top of this. Continuing, uh, we heard about meeting scheduling with Outlook for iOS from Rick. He says, as I listened to the calendar show, I wanted to point out a super useful tool in Outlook for iOS providing meeting times. Uh, like David, I also use Doodle, but I often have this availability tool in Outlook to be better in some situations. And he wrote a post about it, um, about when we can meet. And we're going to go ahead and put a link in the show notes to it. And uh, you can go read Rick's uh, post. 
Luke wrote in that says, we mentioned about the, defa- the default calendar app as an alternative calendar, but we didn't mention one of his favorite features and that Apple's app will suggest previous calendar events as you type. So you can sometimes schedule and fill in the details automatically, including time, location, etc. cetera. Uh, Federico apparently mentions this in his iOS 10 review. And maybe most people uh, could get things done arguably faster than natural language search if they're constantly re-adding common events in the default calendar app. So those are things to look at. Uh, Luke also points out that we should definitely check out Week Cal. And it's an app like Week, W-E-E-K, Cal. That's an app our listeners would enjoy. I bought that years ago because it was one of the only portrait week calendars available on on iOS. And I just stopped using it as the other apps got that functionality. So then I went back and checked it out and he's right. It is an impressive app. Um, The, uh, and just to get back to that one point about the previous uh, event suggestions, it is a really nice feature. I had been like, for instance, I go to the gym a couple times a week and I would always set those appointments because once I got it set right, it's got the right location, the right notifications I want. Uh, the way I would set new ones would be to go just to the last instance in Fantastical, and if you swipe left on an event, there's a, a a more button that has a duplicate, so you can duplicate an event and then just set the new date whenever you're going to the gym next. So after I, this uh, this feedback came in, I started using the native calendar app just to start seeing if I could set those appointments. And sure enough, I just type a couple letters, and it it, it gets wise to what I'm up to and gives me a, a prior event option. Edgar wrote in about recurring appointments and importing from calendars. He says, the Mac app offers custom recurring, but I cannot see where I can do every other weekday recurring event. He says, my work schedule has me in the office every other weekday, and I help. I like to keep it on a family calendar so my wife knows when I'll be working since one week it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and the other week it's Tuesday, Thursday. And it helps me know where I'm supposed to be when I'm supposed to be there. I have to let it run through the week to see on Saturday or Sunday each week, which is a little annoying. Um, And one way you can do this. Oh, I guess he hasn't found a way to do this. So does anybody know a way to do this? That would be helpful to Edgar. Maybe Edgar should post this in the Mac Power Users Facebook group. Yeah, I, I I can't but feel. I wonder if there, one of these iOS apps will do it. I mean, there's so much, um, there's so many interesting features being developed by these iOS developers. Maybe there's something in there that could do it for him. Another question he asked about was um, following up on the ability and the difficulty to import calendars when you have a calendar in a spreadsheet. He said, for example, he has a training schedule for half marathon in a spreadsheet where each week he does a specific number of miles on the weekend. And it's nice to import that rather than to make 20 or so entries with each a different subject showing the miles. Uh, when I, he exports to CSV, the import to Google Calendar, and then export from Google Calendar to local iCloud. Uh, it's funny how often Google is like the backbone of one of these, these crazy calendar moves, right? He says, I know I can just add the Google Calendar, but I want to keep it all iCloud and have you know, not found an easy way to go from CSV to iCal. Um, I I looked into it. I couldn't find any app or tool that would allow me to take a spreadsheet entry and create a series of calendar events on it. Um, maybe that's an opportunity for a smart developer out there. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off today. Your online security and privacy are important, and you need to use real tools to help protect it. That's where 1Password comes in. 1Password creates and stores strong and unique passwords and makes it easy for you to apply those. Because 1Password does all the work for you, you can have a different password for every website, 
If you use one password and your password gets compromised at one website, that means it doesn't get compromised at every other website. Now, that's just the basics of what you could do with 1Password, but I wanted to take a minute to talk about 1Password for families. This is a product that I love. I'm a paid subscriber myself. Uh, the idea behind 1Password for families, it's a way for you to easily have shared passwords among your family and have good security. For just $4.99 a month, and you'll get 20% off, by the way, if you use our discount code, you get unlimited passwords, credit cards, secure notes, and more. One gigabyte of secure document storage, which is a great, uh, useful tool, so you can save important documents to that secured storage. And you get the award-winning apps for Mac, iOS, Windows, and Android. You also get fast, helpful, 24-7 email support. As soon as they announced 1Password for Families, I immediately purchased a subscription because it solved a bunch of problems we were having in our family. Using 1Password for Families, we can securely share passwords between each other. You don't have to send it over a text message or use some other means that is super insecure. Uh, but at the same time, it allows you to protect your passwords. 1Password helps your family practice smart online security by generating strong, unique passwords for all your online accounts. I guarantee you my kids are using Using better passwords since we signed up for this. And finally, it just lets you relax because 1Password remembers everything for you. It gives you an easy way to use proper security. If you've got younger kids, you can set permissions so they don't get access to all of these passwords. The whole system is just really adaptable and easy to implement. I'm so happy that we started using it, and I bet you will too. To learn more, go to onepassword.com slash MPU. And if you put MPU in all caps, you get 20% off, so don't forget to do that. Uh, it's a great service. I recommend it for anybody listening that's got a family. Even set it up with your parents. I mean, it just it just helps. Uh, once again, onepassword.com slash MPU. And thanks, 1Password, for sponsoring the show. We also did a show recently on maps and got a fair amount of feedback on that. David, you talked about your favorite car mount for the iPhone. I talked about mine as well. Chris recommended the ProClip car mount. Um, he says he really likes that rather than using suction cups or clipping it to a vent. And their mounts rely on prying open a bit of your dashboard trim. That scares me a little bit. And sliding a tab on the mount into the gap. He said the result is much more solid than a vent or a suction cup. And the mounting hardware is custom designed for each vehicle. And the phone holder is a separate piece that you can unscrew and change out when you get a new iPhone. Assuming that Apple will eventually at some point change the iPhone form factor. Uh, Chris mentions that he's had a pro mount clip in his previous vehicles, and when he got a new car a couple of years ago, it was pretty much the first thing he did to buy a new pro mount clip, and he would not go back to suction cup or vent clip mounts at this point. So if you're looking for a different mount, you may want to check it out. Well, one of the things we learned from that show is people are pretty passionate about their car mounts <laughs> for their phones. We've got a lot of different feedback on that. Um, Gene wrote in and said that we missed the boat, literally. And the plane. I think you really missed half of the map show. You focus exclusively on the, the main apps, but ignore the more specialized mapping software. Um, uh, that was kind of intentional. I don't know how many of our listeners are going to have boats and planes and things like that. But but uh, Gene did have some recommendations. So Gaia GPS for hiking and other outdoorsy pursuits, which we probably should have covered that because I, I even do some of that stuff. Um, uh, Navionics is great for boating. Jeppesen, J-E-P-P-E-S-E-N, is for aviation. Uh, it's a whole series of navigation apps. And he says there's more. Uh, so um, I guess if you've got something out there that's real specialized, let us know about it. 
Um, but, you know, there's only so much time. We really wanted to cover the stuff we thought most people would be looking at. We also heard from Lee about Pinbox. He said this was a map program that we didn't discuss, and he finds it very useful. He v- often visits clients in different cities, and he makes a different map for each city with offices that he needs to visit, along with his hotel and airport location. He's also now added favorite restaurants to that map, so it's self-contained for each visit, and he doesn't have to recreate it. He saves those maps for when he returns to the same cities, and he also has maps for his vacation spots and local maps for his favorite places to eat. He says Penbox opens up driving directions in Apple Maps, Google Maps, or transit. It's very handy. That sounds like a good idea if, if you're, you know, the type of place where your work takes you frequently to the same locations. Yeah. What is the difference between that, though, and just adding pins? Because you can add pins in all of these apps. Well, how many pins are you going to add? I mean, you could be talking about dozens. Yeah, but if you don't go there very often, they're not in the way. Uh, Route choices. Uh, We heard from Bill. Uh, He said, uh, what about a dedicated GPS as an option or printing a map? (laughs) Um, Actually, I found a map in the backs. uh, You know, there's a little pocket that's behind the driver's seat of my car. I'll tell you how long I keep my vehicles. That's behind the driver's seat of your car, and it had fallen down in there, and there was a a paper map. Came from AAA. All right. Going old school with Katie Floyd. I threw it away when I found it. <laughs> well, it wasn't just good. I mean, I, I, like we talked about on the show, I used to have whole, a whole box of maps in my trunk. And I, you know, when um, the thing about Southern California is everybody drives here and everything is stretched out. And I just remember trying to like go to some meeting or a deposition or whatever, and having this map in my car. And then the, I would drive off the edge of the map and you have to flip the page to find the next one that has whatever street you want on. I mean, the, the, the stuff now is way better. But anyway, I'm getting uh, beyond the point. Uh, Bill said his pet peeve is that both Apple Maps and Google Maps are overly enamored with the shortest time settings and their auto detour features. More than once, he's chosen an alternate longer route because he knew he wanted to avoid a preferred route or some reason um, and only to have the map switch back to the other shorter route as soon as they hit go. Um, you know, one of the issues I have is, you know, there's certain parts of town I don't really want to drive in, especially at certain times of the day. And I know some of these apps are getting better at trying to route around those types of issues, but, um, he does make a point. I mean, they really, once they decide which way they want to go, they can be pretty insistent. He says there's still an argument to be made for GPS. They're preloaded maps. They're not dependent on an internet connection. Typically, they have a dedicated detour button, so as soon as you go off course to find a Starbucks or grab a bite to eat, they're not screaming at you. Uh, Usually, they don't conflict with other apps that are running, and um, the interface is designed for navigation only, so you're not going to have a lot of distractions, and you don't worry about the GPS running down your iPhone battery. So, there, There are options, and they're not as expensive as they used to be. Yeah, I, but you know what? I am just completely sold on the idea of keeping it in my phone. I, I have a cigarette charger lighter thing that goes to a lightning cord, so I don't worry about my battery when I use it. I love the fact that they, the maps get updated, that I can choose the, the, the various operating systems. I mean, one of the points you made in that show is, is how Google does uh, shows the lanes, which is a huge benefit, you know, and um. And so, like, if I decide for this trip I need to switch to that software, I can do that. And um, that's really nice. I, I just remember having a GPS device and getting the the thing in the mail every year saying, hey, why don't you send us a couple hundred dollars so we can send you an updated, you know, street list. And you don't have that anymore once you get 
into using your phone. Bill finally tries to make the case for a printed map on actual paper. Um, And there are cases for that. He says, before you go on a trip, you'd be surprised how many people print out maps because your options on iOS are limited. Perhaps you don't have good coverage. And the way that you do this is in the maps, you can select the details of a route, then scroll down to share. And it gives you a very nicely formatted map with directions on the side. Um, In Google Maps, that's not really a way to do it, but you apparently can do it in Apple Maps. So it's good to know that if you need the hard paper, there's an option for that. Yeah, we had so much feedback on maps. I, I think this is something that struck a nerve. Everybody loves their maps. Yeah, we heard from Chuck talking about Enrics and City Maps to Go apps. He said a free app about as good as Waze without the cuteness and silliness of Waze. Um, and it has less than a, less of a following, so it affects the performance a bit, is um, Enrics, I-N-R-I-X. Um, I first heard of Enrics where they were selling a in-car device. I didn't realize that, that you could get an app version only of Enrics. Um, so Enrix will only use your location and identification while you're using the app. So it's, um, it gives you some, some limitations where Waze requires that it's either on or off at the time. And we did hear from people complaining about that Waze always watching you. Um, and he'd rather not be a customer, um, than the merchandise, which I thought was kind of a good idea. So he tries to remember to use Enrix and turn off the location when he's not using Waze, but it's a pain. Um, I have not used Enrix. But I'm familiar with the idea. The crowdsourcing um, traffic is a good idea. And I think eventually all of these map apps are going to have some component of it, whether it's something that you log, you agree to, or maybe these companies just start keeping data on you as they are watching you drive around, which is kind of creepy. There's a cartography difference between Apple Maps and Google Maps, and as well as CarPlay compatibility. And Aaron wanted to point this out. He said he had a loaner car recently with CarPlay earlier this month, and he didn't have much time to play with it. But he did test out Apple Maps, and it worked well, although the car was slow, laggy, and unresponsive. I assume he means the uh, built-in navigation system with Apple Play, not the actual vehicle itself. He said, I was using a dodgy third-party Apple lightning cable, which I'm a dodgy third-party lightning cable, which I'm sure didn't help. And he didn't have long enough to try out Google Maps via CarPlay, and he doesn't even know if it works at all. But Car- Apple Maps is available on CarPlay, which is something to know about. It's funny, you know, CarPlay has been out now two or three years, and I don't think we've ever mentioned it on Mac Power users, except maybe at the initial Apple announcement. And if you're interested in cartography, um, Aaron points this out over to another blog, and we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, it's Justin O'Byrne, Brian, uh, cartography comparison. It says it's well worth a read if you have a time, if you're interested in cartography. And there's apparently quite a difference between Google Maps and Apple Maps. Yeah, I, I read this when that article first came out a while ago. And uh, it is interesting because you don't think about it that much. But when you look at them side by side, uh, I can see how you would have a definite preference towards one or the other. And that should be something that you weigh in when you're deciding which which app is the one you want to use. So is it, I haven't read it. Is it like the West Wing episode? Do you ever watch the West Wing? No, I've been thinking about oh it my though. Goodness. It's on Netflix. You can watch I it. I know. There's a great, okay. time. Total tangent. The West Wing, besides Star Trek, is probably my favorite show of all time. It, it is just the best show, period. And um, 
there's a great podcast called The West Wing Weekly, which is hosted by Joshua Molina and Rishi, Richie Hershek, I think is how he pronounces his last name, where week by week they go through the entire seven seasons of The West Wing and do one episode a week and do in-depth analysis and have lots of guests. So that that could be a good companion podcast for you while you like watch an episode, listen to an episode, watch an episode, listen to an episode. I'm giving you a whole lot more work here, but it's 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 so much better than anything else that you're going to be watching right now on TV. But they have this uh, series, well, they, they've done it a couple of times called Big Block of Cheese Day. And the Big Block of Cheese Day was the idea where people would get to come into the West Wing and pitch these ideas that were otherwise just shot off as absolutely crazy because you wanted to be able to listen to people who have different or weird ideas because, you know, these people don't normally get hurt. And one of the things that they matched, uh, they talked about was uh, cartographers for equality about how um, uh, maps are unequal. And so this is just made me think of that. Wow, that was a that was a long way to get to the West Wing, Katie. No, it's cartoon. <laughs> hmm. I so have you watched have you watched um Sherlock? Yes. There hasn't it, it only comes out like three a year, if that. I know. I know. Then they take a two year break. Right. So uh, yes, so how I'm many episodes up. how many episodes are there of the West Wing? Like if I commit to this, what am I looking at here? Roughly, there's 22 episodes a season times 10 seasons, uh, times seven seasons. Okay. I, I would need like three years to do that. No, you, you really, I've done it in a year. I I did it a couple of years ago. I went through and we watched, rewatched them all. Maybe I'll just take four years and just do it over four years. Give me some time. I, 22 episodes a seasons are so hard. Just, I almost got so I don't even watch those shows anymore. Just do one a week. It's fine. I like the way, the way they do it in the UK where it's like 10 episodes and you're done. I feel like you're not that committed. I'm not, but I, I'm going to try it's it. so good. I'm going to try it. It's so good. It. I'm committing to the first couple. How's that? I'll report back. All right. You got to pay attention, though, because it moves fast. Okay. You can't be playing around on your iPad while you're watching it. Pay well, attention. That's Aaron Sorkin, right? Yeah. I mean. They walk and they talk and they talk fast. Okay. So, there you go. Just like us. Yeah. No. Well, some of us talk faster than others. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Casper. Casper is a company that is focused on sleep. Casper has created one perfect mattress that it sells directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. Casper's award-winning mattress was developed in-house and has a sleek design and delivered in an impossibly small box. In addition to the mattress, Casper now offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper mattress. It's an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It's no surprise that they've received over 20,000 online reviews with an average of 4.8 stars. Casper's mattress is made of supportive memory foam, so it's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design helps you to regulate your temperature throughout the night. Casper makes a quality mattress at great prices, and they're designed and developed in America. They've cut the hassle out of dealing with showrooms and are passing those savings directly onto the consumers. I've been sleeping on a Casper mattress for several months now, and I can tell you I will probably never buy another mattress at a traditional box store ever again. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. They offer free delivery and free returns to the U.S., Canada, and now the U.K. too. home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it. You can get a $50 credit towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash MPU and using code MPU. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for their support of this show. 
So we did talk about other things besides maps and calendars and tinfoil hats. And um, one of the things that I think we, I don't even remember talking about this, but Leaf wrote in to talk about web-based note managers. He said, since note-taking apps are a recurring theme on this show, boy, are you right. And don't you know, David's got another one planned. He thought that he'd mention the new app, Milanote, M-I-L-A-N-O-T-E, that just came out of beta. It's a really interesting take on note-taking. So David, add that to your list. Yeah, I'll check it out. I mean, I think it's a web-based application, and I, I'm generally a fan of of native apps, especially for something like Notes. But yeah, I'll check it out. We, we've got a, a show coming up where we're going to look really carefully at some of the. There's a, a whole like series of new Notes apps out, and I've been running them up against Apple Notes and some of the other stuff I've used historically. So we'll we'll talk about it more. Everybody takes all these notes. I just don't take that many notes. I do all the time. Just keep it all in my head. It's all up there somewhere. It's fine. You know, somebody just asked me, you know, cause, because we're at the, we had the, the, the meetup. Somebody said, I don't get it with you in notes. And the thing about it is for me, I just want a place I can quickly capture text. And a lot of the stuff I do in my day job involves talking to people and getting information, um, whether it be clients opposing counsel or people I'm negotiating a contract with. And, um, my brain doesn't hold that information well. So a simple app that I can get into and have like a, you know, a text expander date stamp and then a few notes about every conversation I have is just invaluable over time. And the more you do it, the more valuable it becomes. Um, so that that's what we want to do. Uh, I, I just remembered as I was talking about that show upcoming that when we talked to Brett Terps recently, he's, he's promising that he's going to get the update for his app out as well. That's uh, right. He did promise that. So we may push the show back a little bit. We definitely want to give Brett time to have whatever he's up to in the mix. No, I think we push Brett forward. All right. I'll send him a note. Yes. Say, get on it, buddy. Get on it. Mac Power Users waits for no one. But the uh, but we so we do have that coming up. And if you have opinions on it, let us know. I've already been hearing from some listeners who have uh, definite opinions on some of the new apps, love and hate. So let us know. And also the Facebook group would be a good place to sound off on that stuff. So a tip from Ned, David, when you finally decide, this is my editorial, not his, that Apple Notes has failed you, which I truly believe that it will one day. I really do think that it is going to, because I think that Apple has made their updates and they're not going to do any more. Um, th- now, this part is actually from Ned. Uh, Devin Think recently added the ability to import notes from Apple Notes. It imported his Apple Notes with one click, preserving the notes folder, structure, and the process. Um, as a dedicated DevonThink Pro user, this new import feature makes notes much more useful for quick and easy note cap to, to him as more of as a quick and easy note capture system and just one more reason to take the full plunge into DevonThink Pro. Jump on in, David. The water is warm. Yeah, I like that part. So you can get all that stuff out of your notes app, dump it into DevonThink, and then start all over again and dump it in again. Yeah. I mean, DevonThink's got some real benefits, but lightness is not one of them i mean it, it's an app that comes with a lot of you know pieces to it i and, and katie you're assuming that my um use of apple notes is going to survive this next round of tests i'm going through because i am really impressed with some of these new third-party apps on the market so we'll see i may not be in apple notes much longer okay we talked about tools to capture full web pages, and Rick pointed out that one that we missed was Capto, C-A-P-T-O. It's another application that captures entire web pages, and its predecessor was Voila. I've heard of Voila, so glad to hear that Global Delight has uh, released a successor to it. 
And uh, I'm friends with the guy behind Global Delight. He's a quality guy and makes some really great apps. I feel bad that I didn't discuss it when we did the show. So go check it out. We talked about uh, the problem in our, I think this was in our big question show, about what to do if you have a shared iCloud account. You see this a lot in family situations where they have a shared computer and they have shared email and then all of a sudden they end up with a shared iCloud account and then they decide we want our own devices so now we need to split up the iCloud account. And we said, well, this can be kind of a pain to do and you got to manually sort your stuff. And um, Adam wrote in to say that this was not his experience. Uh, And he has followed a fairly simple process when splitting someone off from a joint iCloud account. So step one is to make sure that whatever data they want is on their phone. So presumably you've got the data from the joined iCloud account um, on that phone. Step two is to sign out of the joint iCloud account on the phone. And the phone will ask you if you want to keep all of the contacts, calendars, et cetera, that's locally stored on the phone, but synced with iCloud when signing out. And you say yes, because you still want that stuff on the phone. Then you can, you know, figure out what you want to keep, what you don't. But step three is to sign into the newly created iCloud account and then choose to upload and sync the content on your iPhone when asked. He says, then have the family user who still has the original account create a family and add the newly created iCloud account to it. He says it's really that easy. So then the person who's now jumped off can decide what they want to keep and what they want to get rid of in their newly created iCloud account. I thought that was a pretty ingenious solution if it works. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I I still feel like Apple is, you know, I, I think there's a whole bunch of legal and licensing nonsense that's in their way, but I still don't, I don't think they've delivered the experience that we would all like for this type of stuff. I mean, it shouldn't require a four-step process. It also shouldn't require me to have two accounts, in essence, to, to manage my family because of my legacy apps. You know, there's just a bunch of... Yeah, they need to find some way to let you either do a one-time merge or something. But my guess is they signed a bunch of contracts when they when they set all this stuff up years ago before there was even such a thing as the iPhone. And it's just not that easy to get the right to do it. But with two hundred billion dollars or something in the bank, I bet they could probably figure it out. Okay, Um, there's a related question to that, those shared accounts with photo sharing, which uh, we hear all the time and. And I guess we'll just, we'll save that for another day, but it's a, um, that's just one more angle of all this. Why it's so hard is well, why do we have to have set in the same copy of photos in four different photo libraries? I don't know. I feel like I'm just about to go on a rant, so I should just stop. Right. <laughs> well, we get Katie rants all the time. We could have a David rant. It, it's, there's just, there's some problems here that, that need to be solved. Uh, let's just talk about some of the general feedback questions we got. Um, so we got a comment from Dirk about another Apple note exporter. So there are multiple ways that you can get out of this rat trap here, David. Yeah. Um, he just found an ex. see, you agree with me. He just found an exporter, a simple tool to export his Apple notes to markdown text for backup. Uh, and maybe some of the power users are listening. We'll put a uh, link in the show notes. It's falcon, falcon.star-lord.me slash exporter. There's got to be a falcon.star hyphen lord starlord.me hyphen exporter that's great Aww. we'll put the we'll put the link in the show notes i ran it um uh just to see because i'm testing out multiple notes apps so i just exported all of my apple notes to markdown and imported them to these other apps to kind of kick the tires on them and it works and it's great so you can get markdown i mean to me that's one more argument in favor of apple notes 
you know, the ability that you can get it out as Markdown is great. We also heard, uh, we were talking about ergonomics and David, I forgot, I know an ergonomist and I think I can convince her to come on Mac Power Users. So I'm working on that. Good. So yeah. I'm very excited about that. But in the meantime, Donna suggested a vertical mouse for those with repetitive stress injuries or other hand and wrist issues. Um, it evolves from the ergonomic vertical mouse, and there are several models available. She says she hasn't tried one yet, but they look impressive. Yeah. You know, I, I was talking to someone within the last few years who was a big fan of those who had some RSI issues. And they're funny looking. You know, you, you hold your hand kind of sideways. It's like it sticks up out of the ground like a tree or something and you wrap your arm, your hands around it. And um, I, I guess it really is a big improvement if you have RSA problems. Every person is individual. Every person is going to be different, but this might be something that works for you if you have a lot of RSI issues with your hands, particularly with mousing. It's certainly more friendly than the Apple, you know, stealth mouse. Well, I'll <laughs> tell know. you, I cannot use the Apple Magic Mouse. For me, that is an incredibly uncomfortable mouse. And I know some people love it, but it's too low profile for me. I find it very uncomfortable. You know, I have one. Um, my daughter used it for a long time. Then she didn't use it because she's just got a laptop now. So it's sitting here and I keep it, you know, with batteries in it. But I use the Magic Trackpad most of the time. But occasionally I do something that's super fiddly where a mouse makes more sense and I'll just grab it and use it for the little thing. But I, I don't use it very often. So I think it's easy if you don't use it that often. Uh, so we got a tip from Kevin about the kind of the idea of using OS 10 server instead of a NAS. So let's take a listen there. Hello, Kavid and Dady. This is Kevin Taylor from outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And I had a comment about using network attached storage in the home. And I've had some experience with that because I own the Drobo 5N network attached storage. And I find it a little annoying to use in that it's rather slow to connect from various devices. And I also find a little flaky that devices will disconnect at times. And related in the past to one of your shows from, uh, gosh, several years back, praising Mac OS server, and I have it on a Mac mini, and that is such a better experience in terms of backups, in terms of sharing, in terms of getting to that device. It's lightning fast on the network. And I find back to my Mac works pretty well, so I can access it off-site, log in, control that machine, and I can access things off-site, and I don't have a public network uh, in terms of the Mac OS server is not sharing the network exactly on the internet. So if I were advising someone today in terms of having uh, a NAS at home, I would tell them if they can get a hold of an old Mac that can run Mac OS server, which most machines can, uh, to put Mac OS server on there and then to buy really large directly attached storage, USB storage hard drive and plug that into that machine and that will give you huge amount of storage for backups and for kind of deep storage needs and it provides you such great resources such as shared update when the other machines wanted to update it could download it in five minutes or so because it was stored within server so i hope that's useful and thanks for all the great work and ideas Thanks, Kevin. We had a show about Mac OS server. Todd came on and talked quite a bit about that. I think there's a lot of merit in running a Mac mini with Mac OS server, Mac OS 10 server. Uh, I have a couple of concerns. 
One is it's it can be expensive if you have to have a dedicated machine. You're running macOS server is only nineteen ninety nine, so you only got a twenty dollar investment there. That's not bad. But if you're thinking about dedicating a, a Mac Mini or something like that to this task, then that can get expensive depending on exactly what you want to do with it. And honestly, although I've had a Mac Mini that I use as a home server. I am really phasing that out in favor of some of these smart NASes. I've I've gotten one of these Synologies, and I think we're probably going to either do a full show on it soon or at least part of a show. I've been really, really impressed with some of the things that, that it can do and putting it through its paces. And um, when my Mac Mini dies, which it's probably not going to be long, I think it's a 2009 Mac Mini that I've just kept going, um, I'm not going to replace it. But so there's a place for it. I guess I'm also a little nervous about Mac OS X server in the age of where we're questioning what's going on with the Mac Mini. Yeah, uh, our old pal Steve Stanger, a longtime podcaster and a friend of the show. I remember he used to tell me, I think he had a, a, a laptop that the screen had gone bad on and he turned that into his server. I mean, it doesn't you don't have to spend a lot of money to get a server running in the house. So I think there's some definite merit to this. It's interesting because on that show, you were talking about a NAS drive. I was talking about basically I have the iMac on my desks just running 24 seven. It does a lot of the things which, but, but the server is kind of the middle solution where it gives you even more control and power and the, the options Kevin was talking about. I just haven't bothered with it because I just don't need it, frankly, for what I'm doing. We also heard from Chris about next action is a meeting. I thought this was a good one. He says he practices GTD and uses OmniFocus to track all of his projects and tasks. And recently he put together a list of his major projects at work and the next steps for each for a report to his colleagues about where the project stood. And he realized that for many of these projects, the next step was for him to attend a meeting. However, there isn't a next action associated directly with the meeting, so they don't show up in OmniFocus. And now the meetings aren't completely absent from OmniFocus. They show up in the calendar in the forecast view, and these meetings may have had actions associated with them in the past. So, um, so you with me so far? You know, he's got this problem. However, if I go into the projects view and look at one of these projects, there's either no next action or maybe some tasks that are deferred until after the meeting. There's no one place you can go. Uh, so to that extent, the current approach doesn't work. It says my calendar will get me to the meeting and at the meeting or afterwards, I'll capture whatever my next action needs to be. But this has me wondering if there's a better way to do this. Uh, create a 10 meeting for tasks for each meeting and only have focus perhaps. Well, uh, Chris, that's exactly what I do. Um, like as an example, I have OmniFocus projects for uh, Mac Power Users episodes. You know, it's a script I run through uh, editorial, all that stuff we talked about in recent shows that I screencasted. And one of the steps in it is record the show. And there's a bunch of things that we do after the show is recorded, but the recording the show needs to happen first. I can't bookmark the file or upload the file or do some of the other post-production stuff until we've actually recorded the show. So It would be fun if you could. Yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? But uh, So I just put it in as a task, and you could do the same thing with a meeting. Say, you know, meet with Jason about next steps, and then then you go from there. Uh, it, it also leads to a related question about what happens when a project is going to knowingly run out of gas. And what I mean by that is you've got a project, you know, with certainty what the next four steps are, but depending on what happens, then 
you don't know what the next four steps are after that. I mean, the project after four steps could be something that you decide to can and forget about it, or it could be something that could blow up into, you know, a company altering experience. Um, so one of the common things I'll put in OmniFocus is I'll, I'll plan out the next four steps and then I'll make the fifth task plan further, you know, plan this project further. And it's just a good you know reminder to me that I need to figure out what happens next. And usually after I finish those first four tasks, I have a much better idea of what they are rather than trying to predict it, you know, before we get even off the ground. All right, let's hear from Rob. Hey guys, in episode 361, you spoke with Clayton Morris about using burst mode to take photos of kids. I had another suggestion in that same vein. There's a great app called Lively that does some neat things with the live photos you take with your iPhone. Uh, Lively allows you to export the photo as a movie or a GIF or a GIF or uh, also lets you deconstruct uh, that live photo frame by frame. So much in the same way David was suggesting use burst mode, um, my wife and I have found this app to be really invaluable in taking photos of our daughter. Uh, we'll just take a live photo, which is kind of the default of the camera. And then after the fact, we can go through and find which frame of that live photo actually made for the best uh, the best image. Um, the nice part about it is it doesn't really require, require shooting the photo any differently. It's something that you can kind of do retroactively, which we found to be really valuable. Hope that helps. I love that there's so many apps out there. You know, we do this show and we always hear about another one that, you know, scratches the itch in a different way. I love that. I'm not so sure what I think about live photos. I'd I like the ability to turn them on, which you can, uh, but I don't like them as the default option because I've seen too many people take live photos badly or not realize that they're taking a live photo and it's it's ruined a photo for me there's a relationship between um your your um involvement with small children and your love of live photos that could be it well i've had a lot of people take photos of static things as live photos and what you just get is blur but we've got some babies floating around the sparks family lately and boy when those pictures come in and you can just press on them and get the live photo it's delightful And our final tip from our listeners today is from Matthew. And we talk a lot about Evernote on the show, David. And one of the workflows we used to use is we would save emails to Evernote for follow-up in this feedback episode. But we've kind of gotten away from that because the free account on Evernote didn't allow you to save anything out, didn't allow you to forward emails into Evernote anymore. Uh, Well, Matthew has gotten around this by using a neat workaround to the Evernote free email account limit. He says to do this, you open up an email that you want to send to Evernote, tap print, and once the email print preview pops up, you do a hard press on it and it converts to a PDF, and then tap the share button and select Evernote. And if you don't want to do this on iOS, you can also add Evernote as a service in the print services menu, so you can always print a PDF to Evernote. So he says you got that first tip from 9to5Mac and the second one I added in for you. So those are options if you want to quickly get an email into Evernote, if you don't mind going around about with the PDF. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with a Squarespace website and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. I love having Squarespace as a sponsor because I'm such a big fan of their products. I have Squarespace websites for Mac Sparky, My law firm, my wife, my kids, everybody around me has Squarespace websites. And just about anybody I come in contact with that tells me they need a website ultimately ends up with a Squarespace website. This isn't because they're sponsoring the Mac Power users. This is because it's a great service. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea. You can get a unique domain and use their award-winning templates and just get going. 
Maybe you want to create an online store or a portfolio or a blog. Squarespace has templates and tools to help you no matter what your desire. It truly is an all-in-one platform that lets you do whatever it is you want to do on the internet. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has just got it covered. They have 24-7 customer support to help you if you have any problems. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of the award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. The best part is you don't have to stick with the template. Once you get it and you've set it up, you can start tweaking it a little bit here and there to give it your own unique look. That's what I did with Max Sparky, and I really love it. Because in addition to helping you set up your website, Squarespace takes care of the hosting. You've just got one person to deal with if there's any problem with your website. And the hosting with Squarespace doesn't get enough credit. Once in a while, I get linked by a big website, and suddenly I have a lot of traffic thrown at Max Sparky. I have never had it break down in all these years I've been using Squarespace. When I was using a different service before, my website would go down constantly. So if you use Squarespace and your big idea blows up into something great, Squarespace has got you covered. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start with a trial with no credit card required uh, just to check it out by going to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the Mac Power users. So make your next big move with Squarespace and don't forget that offer code MPU to get 10% off. So we always like to end these shows with some of the tech that we're playing with. And I thought I would start out by telling you about um, yet another laptop bag. I'm, I'm collecting them. I have many, many more laptop bags than I do purses. Um, it's just a thing for me. But since I've got a new laptop relatively recently, that now requires all new bags. I guess it doesn't require them. But for me, it's a requirement that when you get a new laptop, you get a new bag. And so I have been um, a longtime fan of Brent Haven. In fact, I used their bags almost exclusively, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago um, and somehow managed to get away with them. And someone from Brent Haven reached out and said, hey, we'd, we'd love to get you back into Brent Haven bags again. So I've been been running around with this Medina line of bags and specifically the Medina Slim Brief. And it is just a gorgeous bag. You know, my requirement is I was looking for something that was a little more feminine, although this looks great on a guy too. Um, I was looking for something that wasn't just your big clunky bat black laptop bag. So scratch that. It's not necessarily a feminine bag, but it is not a big clunk. It is a fashionable bag would be a better way to say this. It is not a big clunky black laptop bag. It's got some style to it. It's sleek, modern design. Um, it's a nice brown, but with some uh, leather accents to it. Um, it's got a great interior padding uh, with a with a little bit of a, a kind of a greenish stripe to it. I'm, um, and it just has pockets and compartments for all of your stuff. You can put pretty much anything um, that you want into it. You can, it's got pockets for iPhones, pockets for pens, pockets for cables. It's got a dedicated sleeve for your laptop. Um, it's got a shoulder strap, but it is just a great looking bag. Uh, it's got a zippered organizational panel on the front and um, pretty much anything you want, you can, you can put in these bags. And it, it is a great looking bag if you are a professional and you want to have something that's a little more tailored, that's a little more modern that you can throw your laptop in um, and take it with you. I feel like this is absolutely a bag. I've, I've taken it to court before. I can take it into client meetings. It doesn't look like a big clunky laptop bag, but yet I feel like my laptop is going to be safe in this bag and it just looks great. 
Well, good. I, I cannot complain about bags because I have a, a fetish for them. I can't get enough of them as well. So, uh, Katie Floyd, just keep getting as many as you want. That's what as I say. As many bags and just... I've got a shelf with them on it. I don't, I'm not sure here. Uh, I'll tell you what I've been kind of interested in. I, I've really been making an effort and over the... I've kind of made a promise to myself over the next 60 days. I, I think I, I'm making a lot more progress on getting help. You know, we've talked in the show kind of in the productivity theme in the past about you and I are both kind of running these, 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 you know, small businesses. And as we deal with the the crunch of things, how do we get better at it? And I've been spending a lot of time, you know, maybe we'll do a show on this at some point, but I've been timing myself and looking where my problems are. And, and I've kind of come to the conclusion that rather than hiring one person to solve all my problems, I'm going to put together kind of like a team of people or, you know, one person helps me out with one piece of it and one help person helps me out with another, which creates some management issues and, and information issues. And um, we've talked about Trello on the show with relation to guests a lot over the years. And uh, I decided about a month ago, I'm going to get serious about Trello for managing some of my projects. And and Trello is, they, they call them boards, but they're just like little shared task lists and information boards on projects and they're project specific. So I started with a free account and quickly saw the utility of it. I've now, I've, I'm a Trello gold subscriber. I've got, you know, the the better account and I've got several people that I'm working with that are on Trello boards. And it just gives me a really easy way to see where everybody is on different pieces of things. While at the same time, allowing me to keep my own task system and letting everybody that I work with keep their own task system. And I'm, I'm really finding it useful. I, we haven't really incorporated it into the Mac Power Users production stuff, but maybe you and I will have to talk about that at some point. Uh, but my, I guess my my pick today is, is Trello, and, and particularly Trello Gold, the subscription service where you can uh, really add some, some power tools to it. It's quite helpful. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap us up for another feedback show for another month or so. Um, we got a lot of great feedback in and thank you everybody for joining us. And please be sure to continue to feedback um, both to our show and as well as to the Facebook group. So you can find our show on uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash group slash Mac Power Users. You can send feedback directly to us at feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. And you can find the show at relay.fm slash MPU. Thanks all for listening, and we'll see you all next week.